0: Howdy ho, and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. That rhymed, and it uh, wasn't even planned. Uh, thank you for tuning in. On today's show, I'm joined by Chad White. He is the research director at Litmus. Litmus is an email creation, testing, and analytics platform that helps marketers and designers to create wonderful, beautiful, optimized emails. Chad is also the author of Email Marketing Rules. It's in its third edition. He's basically the most knowledgeable guy on email in the world. Um, that's a fact. In today's show, we talk about uh, email marketing, shocker, but we also talk about some research that he and we actually did on how nonprofits specifically use emails, and then we talk about the role of email in kind of generosity and also some kind of um, hidden tricks or things that people often miss when it comes to their email marketing. So whether you're a nonprofit or social impact or just a person who uses email, hopefully there's something in this episode for you. So on with the show. Hey, Chad, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brady. So you've now released three editions of Email Marketing Rules. And when we first met and chatted, you kind of shared more about how that came to be and some of the work and research that went into the first version. Can you share a little bit more about why you decided to write these books and then how you went about doing it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the first time around, I was really uh, I was a, a little bit, ticked off, actually, uh, (laughs) is how it came about. Um, You know, the book is really all about best practices. And uh, that's a term that I think has really been kind of, like, kicked down in the dirt uh, in recent years. And there was this notion at the time, people saying, like, well, the best practice is the practice that's best for you. And I thought that (laughs) was really dangerous thinking, like, um, that there's actually, like societal norms social norms and in in my very particular case like email marketing norms that uh, they exist for very sound reasons i Mm. mean email marketing best practices arise out of consumer expectations and out of the expectations of inbox providers so these things are not you know completely negotiable and some of them aren't negotiable at all and so you know, when people started saying how, like, ah, best practices don't really exist. And in often cases, what they were talking about were like, what really best practices at all, but like, you know, like special wrinkles and execution. Right. And So what I tried to get at was like, okay, what's like the foundational practices that we really need to pay attention to? And which ones are non-negotiable? And which ones can you maybe fudge a little bit depending on your brand and uh, your brand voice and how you like to do things? Because certainly, you know, some brands definitely get away with sort of like, you know, bending, you know, the quote unquote rules here and there. Um, But that was really where it came about. I I was kind of angry and I thought that some people were doing a disservice to other people and giving them bad advice so I wanted to sort of get on the record uh, and really say you know what's the truth here and after I did the first edition um, I very quickly came up with uh, more things to say and so I I did a second edition and now I've done a third and uh, and I already have like a A pretty lengthy list of things I want to add to an eventual fourth edition, uh, probably in the year like 2020 or something like that. (laughs) Cool. Uh,
0: And and how did you go about figuring out what those like 150 things, you know, actually were? Like, how did you come up with that list? Or what was the criteria? How did you get that information?
1: Sure. So I mean, a lot of it was, you know, based on research that I had done or other people had done. Um, But a lot of it is, um, you know, kind of just sort of accepted truth in many cases Mm. that aren't based on research i do get slightly frustrated sometimes and and i say this with no degree of irony being a researcher but i'm amazed sometimes at what people will refuse to do without research right Um, Hmm. you know and you can say you know look trust me like you know i've been doing this now for 12 years you know i've seen a ton of things trust me this is the way that you should do it based on your circumstances. And they're like, well, you know, I want to see, like, I want to see research. I want to see case studies. Like, I feel like sometimes we allow that to stop us from doing the common sense thing. And I get, I get really frustrated with some of some folks who just won't do things if they don't have a case study. And I've, I've started saying that, you know, if you wait until you have a case study
0: Mm. uh, to
1: do a certain thing, all that does is confirm that you're at least, you know, 12 months behind uh, other people because case studies take forever to come about. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's really doing something like special and sort of leading edge, like they're not doing a case study on it. So you, you don't, Case studies don't come from those guys. Case studies tend to come from the folks who are behind those guys. Right. Uh, and then if you are waiting on hearing what those guys are doing, so like you you firmly put yourself as like a follower of followers. Hmm. Um, so I think we're sometimes a little too timid, especially in email where it's pretty easy to test things and, and the risks uh, tend to be relatively modest to try something. Uh, I think we're just a little too risk adverse um, and we should really be a little bit more Pioneering, and especially when it comes to doing things that just makes sense when you put yourself in the in the shoes of your customers. Yeah,
0: I th- that is a very interesting irony because obviously we're a research lab around fundraising and it talk about risk averse. Like nonprofits are pretty, you know, risk averse and needing to get you know with the times, and so that's definitely the market. But there's also just a huge dearth of actual research that stands behind some of the best practices. And so I think it's tough, maybe if you're like a fundraiser or marketer looking for help to know like, what's the common sense and where do I need the research? Because, you know, expert A said this without research, and maybe I should just trust them. But expert B, you know, has all this research that disproves expert A, and it kind of leads to this, you know, market confusion. So I think that's that's a trick for for kind of everyone. But I agree, there's some common sense stuff that's like, do we really have to test this? <laughs> you know, You know, having like 18 million forms that someone has to fill out before a donation. We don't need to test this. You know, there's some – and same thing in email. I'm sure there's some very basic things. It's just like, come on. You don't or, need research. Or
1: why wait for a case study from someone else when you can do a simple test in-house and right. like determine if that's going to work for your audience? Because that's that's the other, like, thing about case studies is that well, it's great if, like, company A, like, mm-hmm. if, you know, if this thing worked for them you know, that's no guarantee it's going to work for you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of case studies. Um, case studies are nice. Everybody kind of needs case studies, but, um, but they're not the be all end all. Like, yeah. you shouldn't be waiting on those to decide to do something.
0: Yeah. Well, as someone who, it took us like a year to create a couple for sales. Like I'm on board with, you know, less case studies. Um, so you've, you've like literally written the book or multiple books on kind of email best practices and optimization. What are, what are some of the most common mistakes, uh, that you see email marketers make or things that people get wrong?
1: Yeah. The, the interesting thing about email marketing is that, you know, there's constantly new people coming into, into the industry. Um, I feel like uh, email is not one of those industries that people seek out. <laughs> so it, it, email marketing has this reputation as being an industry that you fall into, mm-hmm. you know, you're the junior person and you get tagged and you, and you are it. <laughs> um, so there's, there's always a need to kind of like reeducate um, people. But uh, so, so one of my other pet peeves is people that say that email marketing hasn't changed. And in fact, uh, I got an email from like, a very well-known um, marketing agency a couple of weeks ago, and like, the first sentence was that email marketing hasn't changed much in the last 20 years, and I wanted to just pull all my hair out. Uh, Email marketing has changed radically in the last 20 years. You know, mobile has completely redefined Mm -hmm. how we design emails. It completely has redefined the context in which people consume our messages. Deliverability has completely changed over the last 20 years. You know, now engagement-based filtering is super prevalent. You can't just send emails that that people uh, tolerate. You have to send emails that people want to engage with. Mm-hmm. So like the rules have just radically changed. Automation, AI, machine learning, you know, there's just a long, long list of ways email marketing has changed. And so I think there's constantly this tension between uh, having to re-educate or or simply educate, you know, very new people who are in the industry. At the same time, we're trying to push forward to some of these more advanced techniques. So, in terms of what people don't understand, you kind of have two fronts where you're constantly kind of making sure that the newer people in the industry understand a lot of the basics um, so that they can flourish and do well. But at the same time, like the people who are more you know, have been in the industry for a while, you know, they're the ones that are kind of pushing the ball on uh, interactive emails and like really cool, fancy stuff that you can now do inside of an email.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that you mentioned there is deliverability. And I know just speaking personally, that's been a big like aha moment. Um, just knowing like as, as more of like the content creator side of things, like I have spent way too little time thinking about and worrying about deliverability, just kind of saying, oh, my tool, (laughs) my tool will figure it all out for me. That's why it's a tool. And just the, you know, you send out thousands and thousands of emails and, you know, you start going even just percentages, just fractions of percentages that aren't even being delivered. You don't even know for a lot of people, it's not in their metrics that they monitor. And can you speak a little bit to deliverability just overall and kind of A, how crucial it is, and then maybe a couple things that really go into deliverability? Sure. Yeah, no, deliverability is definitely, it's one of the dark arts of email marketing, <laughs>
1: for sure. And uh, a lot of people don't understand how it works and are, are confused about it. Um, you know, it used to be that you'd send out email and if too many people reported it as spam, you had, you had problems and you started mm-hmm. to get blocked. And generally, you got blocked across an entire inbox provider. So all of your emails that were going to, you know, to Yahoo would stop getting delivered to Yahoo folks, um, and there's tons more nuance now. Um, so the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the probably the biggest change has been engagement-based filtering, and it's this idea that um, there needs to be a positive response, not just a lack of a negative one. Hmm. So it's not just people not hitting the spam button, but they actually have to be opening and clicking and starring and foldering and archiving your emails and doing all these other really um, positive engagements with your emails, most of which email marketers have absolutely no visibility into (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) So uh, there's definitely a, that's one of the things I think messes people up is that um, a lot of the factors that go into deliverability are, we're completely blind to, Hmm. but um, engagement is Absolutely critical. Uh, Gmail really pioneered this, but all of the inbox providers now do this. Uh, I think Gmail is still kind of the most sensitive. Um, I think uh, a lot of our listeners are probably nodding their head right now, <laughs> where if their engagement metrics you know, fall too much, Um, they start to see that their deliverability suffers. But the other thing that's gotten really tricky is that deliverability has gotten really more individualized. Mm. So again, it it used to be you, you had deliverability problems and all of your emails that would go to Yahoo or to Gmail would stop going to those users. And in many cases, that made it really easy to see you had a problem Because, Mm -hmm. geez, my open rate just (laughs) dipped like 10 percentage points. Something is going on here. Let me investigate. Um, And and now uh, your engagement uh, gets a little bit low. Then like the people that are the most uh, disengaged, those people start seeing their emails um, going to spam or getting blocked on that individual level. Um, And that makes it really difficult to kind of – see that something has happened yeah. on the marketer side so in many cases you know you can really do quite a bit of harm to your deliverability and not really be aware of it because it's like that that slow boil uh, yeah. and not a, and not an explosion the way that it used to be um, so that's probably one of the, the trickiest things um, but that's that is all to say that you need to pay attention to your engagement metrics. Um, for the most part, uh, that's your opens and clicks. Uh, some people who know a lot about email marketing might be saying, oh, wait a minute, clicks, that's not right because uh, inbox providers don't track clicks. They're not allowed to. And that is true. Uh, they can't, but clicks are our best proxy for all of the other engagement that happen inside of inboxes that we can't see. Uh, clicks are sort of a proxy for. The archiving and the foldering and the starring and uh, a bunch of things that we can't see. Um, So I I still think clicks are super, super important, but it's true they don't technically use that as a metric. Hmm. But you need to see good engagement with your emails um, and not be... You shouldn't be emailing, my rule is that you shouldn't be emailing people who have not opened or clicked one of your emails in the past 26 months. And for a lot of brands, um, they can't afford to even go that long before seeing uh, pretty bad problems with their deliverability. If you're a high volume sender, there's no way you could wait 26 months to do something. But if you're a lower volume sender, you could probably get away with 26 months. And 26 months sounds like a random number, but it's um, a little bit more than two years. So that's two seasonal cycles. So if someone is a once a year buyer, once a year donator, whatever right. it is, well now you've gotten two complete annual cycles beyond that with a little bit of like extra wiggle room. Um, that's, that's sort of my, my red line. And again, for a lot of brands, if you send a lot of email, your, your red line might be nine months.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's a great tip. And I know I was just in a, a client meeting the other day and we, we see this all the time when we look at their email data. That even if their rates are, are good, it's often propped up by a small group of people that are really, really, really engaged. And you just peel like not even that many layers or like two layers down. And you find a huge pocket of just dead emails that they're paying for to have on these lists that are, haven't clicked in years, you know. And so you just even have like an active, engaged person or kind of subset just even looking at that, and even if it's six months or something shorter, then it's like we got to get these people reactivated soon. Otherwise, they're going off a cliff and they're never coming back. Like that's a pretty simple thing, but it makes a big deal. Yeah, it's it's
1: the eighty twenty rule, right? I mean,
0: eighty percent of your business is
1: going to be driven by twenty percent of your customers, twenty mm-hmm. percent of your your donors, twenty percent of your users, whatever it is. But so so uh, I just got back from Litmus Live. Boston, we, Litmus puts on three conferences a year and Boston is our sort of our, our marquee, our, our biggest one. And uh, so I, I was asked by one of our attendees, um, he was having trouble trying to convince his boss that they should stop emailing chronically inactive subscribers. And like, could I help him, um, give him some language to talk to his boss to kind of convince him. And, and what I told him is essentially about this eighty twenty 20 rule and how like 20% of your folks are driving 80% of your business. So what that means, you know, in subscriber land is that, you know, a very small group of your subscribers are, are generating almost all the value in your email marketing program mm-hmm. and you are jeopardizing that value, uh, in the hopes that you know mm. a, a, a you know a sort of an equal sized fringe group at the other end of the value spectrum, yeah. trying to trying to hope and dream that those people are gonna somehow magically come back and be as valuable or significantly valuable, um, and that's not what tends to happen. Those people yeah. who become chronically inactive haven't opened in you know, over a year or two years the chances of them coming back and suddenly generating a ton of value for it is really low. And so by hanging on to that hope against all hope, you're jeopardizing the value that's being generated by your engaged subscribers. That is a really lousy deal. You should focus your attention on the folks who want to be on your list and are actively engaged. We, I think sometimes we spend a little too much time focusing on trying to like re-engage and desperately get these low value uh, subscribers or no value subscribers to be a little valuable. I feel like we could spend a lot more time you know, focusing on that 20% or whatever it is of really valuable subscribers and seeing if we can make those guys even a little bit more valuable. It seems like yeah. there's actually more to be gained there than there is at the, to- at the opposite end of the value spectrum of these really disinterested subscribers.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's an approach that would work in many different environments, like even thinking of donor databases of like we can spend so much time and effort like, oh, this person gave like two and a half years ago. Like, let's keep let's keep going. And it's like, they're gone, you know? And meanwhile, you've got people who are giving every month and you're not really engaging with them. And, and so you can spend a disproportionate time. Or uh, how do you go around like email acquisition and find the right people that'll jump into that, you know, active 20%. Like how do you grow that that 20% instead of, you know, these people aren't engaged. How do you find some more people, people that are engaged? So that's an interesting point. Um, I want to jump a little bit into kind of how some of this applies to, to nonprofits in particular. So uh, like we actually met each other because we've teamed up on kind of a, a research study Round out how nonprofits kind of use email and you kind of matched it up with a lot of your other research to find some you know uniqueness and key differences or similarities. Um, can you share just a little bit more about kind of like nonprofits and that research and specifically what kind of stood out to you maybe as some some key or stark differences?
1: Yeah, so with a lot of, uh, with a lot of verticals, um, nonprofits say email marketing is really important to their business. So that's, that's not unusual. Uh, the special challenge that nonprofits have is on like the budget and resourcing. Mm-hmm. End, and I'm sure that's, that's not a shock. Um, but, uh, 58% of nonprofits say they are underfunded in their email marketing program. Mm. Um, that's, that's kind of an outlier compared to a lot of the other industry verticals that we looked at Mm. Um, so we've got some extreme resource stretching going on Um, and so there is a very much a bit of a disconnect between how valuable nonprofits say email is and how well it is funded Uh, we've kind of separately done some research into the roi of email marketing and on average um, across um, all verticals, um, email returns about thirty-eight dollars for every dollar you spend on it. Um, mm. It's kind of hard-pressed to get better returns uh, on that <laughs> than anything else in your marketing, you know, menu of options. Um, and so sometimes I do get a little bit frustrated that you know, given those kinds of returns, that we can't kind of like scrounge up a little bit more budget for email. Um, but I think that is that is definitely one of the kind of unique challenges with nonprofits is that they're um, is that they're significantly underfunded, and you see it in a lot of the activities that they do and mm-hmm. the tools that they have. Um, they're are uh, much more likely to use the the WYSIWYG editors um, that are provided by their ESP to build emails. Um, they're, they're much uh, less likely to, you know, use personalization and do a bunch of other kind of uh, tactics that we know are effective at generating um, more engaging uh, email experiences, creating more relevant emails. Um, but they're they're really constrained, both in terms of execution and also the tools on like sort of the production side of things. Um, they have fewer emails in production at any given time. Um, I think it takes them a little bit longer to produce an email. Um, Which isn't necessarily bad, but I think in their case it's because they're they're tool constrained um, yeah, so, the, yeah that was of one of
0: the there. that was I mean there's a lot of interesting things, but that was one of them is kind of the combo of kind of like fewer emails on deck taking them longer but also not using advanced features. So when I mean, you kind of marry up the three data points, you go this isn't this isn't a good picture overall because if they were taking more time, but really getting into you know. CSS are like cool things and deliverability, then you're like, fine, it takes you longer to do that stuff and run more tests. Cool. But they're not. Um, no. So it's just, we're taking longer because I think we're using like crappy tools and uh, there's maybe a knowledge gap. And and you're right, it is unfortunate to not get, not, not just the resources, because some of those things aren't expensive. It's just a little knowledge and a little time.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point because it's not all... Um, lack of money to buy tools Um, quite a few tools and and processes don't cost anything Mm -hmm. Um, you know some of the processes take a little bit of time so it's like it's time resourcing not you know financial resourcing Um, so yeah and and maybe that's uh, I, I don't I think that we looked at uh, the folks who are who are working at nonprofits to see if they had maybe less email marketing experience, but that might be the case where they're like more junior, less experienced, um, and therefore, you know, kind of back to the whole education thing that yeah you know, they may just not be aware of of what their options are. They, they, may, they may not know what a partial is. And if you don't know what a partial is, you should look it up uh, because they're <laughs> super duper helpful. <laughs> uh, so that may be just like a, an education uh, gap.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think there's an education gap. And um, I think the other challenge that that we've experienced or I've seen for sure is if, if and when they do want to go get some education, um, normally, most of the education that you get is a nonprofit specific, which isn't necessarily in the world because there's some universals around you know deliverability and some of those best practices that you mentioned that would absolutely translate across. But just because you know Zappos or you know some brand or some shoe company does their email marketing some way, and even if they give you the playbook of what they do, it does not mean that that is applicable or really going to work for nonprofits. In fact, a lot of the times it's like the complete opposite, right? I mean we see that plain emails with like no design that are longer copy-based and have like raw HTML links like outperform the like fancy design ones because giving and fundraising is so personal. You know, as whereas a shopping experience, yes, it should be more personal. But we're used to just like walking in a store, buying a pair of shoes, or going online, and so when our email feels that way, it's fine. Whereas fundraising, it's it's warm, and so that needs to be reflected in email. So even if you're looking for education and training, it's hard to find sometimes that that's unique or special to the nonprofit sector.
1: Yeah, I agree. I do I do think there is quite a lot that nonprofits can learn from from B2B marketers and I think in particular B2C Mm. Uh, but they definitely have their own unique issues as well. Um, Yeah I I don't I don't like it when folks talk about how like well I'm B2B so that B2B that B2C example doesn't I don't yeah that it's not relevant to me. Well no it's still consumers it's still the same psychology like there's usually a lot you can take away so I don't there's definitely unique constraints, uh, in the nonprofit, uh, marketplace or unique, uh, considerations. I mean, uh, emotion, uh, emotional appeals. And, um, I mean, there's tools that they have that, you know, the average B2C marketer yeah. doesn't have certainly the average B2B marketer doesn't have. But, um, I, I hope that folks who are listening to this, don't think that you can't learn something from a B2B program or a B2C program. There's, there's tons that's applicable. Um, you know, I I've, I think I've traditionally heard that between B2B and B2C and how mm-hmm. like, oh, we're totally different. But um, I feel like those those, uh, you know, in the Venn diagram of like overlap there, those circles are right. overlapping more and more and more. So, um, yeah, be open to the different ways of doing things, trying to try to find like those common elements or, you know, those points of inspiration that you can pull over into your program. There's there's more overlap than I think people want to acknowledge. Everyone yeah, and, and that's
0: special. That's totally fair. Um, and I think the key thing is like um, borrow and and like test it for yourself, kind of thing. Like so great if even Absolutely. if that is how Zappos goes. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Cool. Like get insights and inspiration from anywhere. Uh, don't just assume it to be gospel truth because it worked for a company that it's going to work for your donors. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen is like, well, you know, X company, I'm picking on Zappos for some reason, but, you know, like X company sends, there's a conference smart. that's like at Zappos campus. So it's like in in my head. So nothing against Zappos, sorry about that. You know, but it's just, if you just take it and implement it blindly, like, well, that's bad no matter what it is. So uh, that's a really good point that we can learn a lot from. from for B- sure. B- 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 yeah, C-
1: I mean, you talked about, you know, like the sort of like, Kind of a plain text, light kind of approach to to email design that can be very effective among nonprofits. B two B marketers use that same approach quite often. Oh, so yeah. there's 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 much to be learned there from yeah. our from our, our adjacent
0: sectors. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, looking forward to learning more from kind of your research and the research around nonprofits as it kind of becomes uh, you know a bigger part of. It's definitely what we do and kind of what you do. So that's great. Uh I want to shift a little bit to just kind of talking about generosity, because that's the gener this is the generosity freak show after all. And I'd be interested to know just kind of how you kind of think about or define uh generosity and then I'm interested in, in how litmus and email and your work how you see that playing a role in kind of growing generosity. So how do you define it and then you know what role do you see email playing in growing it?
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think I would this is like a very philosophical question, but I think I <laughs> would I think I would define generosity as like you know giving freely when you don't have to. Mm. Um, I think maybe like at its core, that's that's what it is. Um, and maybe part of that is like being appreciative of what you have and where you've come from. Uh, that's something that's you know I think in, in recent years that. Been trying to pay extra attention to personally. Hmm. Uh, there was a, a time when, when I was young, when I was on food stamps, hmm. and I was uh, donating blood plasma to get extra money. Hmm. Uh, wow. I did that for I think over a year. So like every other day, I was in the, uh, the in the seat given plasma. Wow. Um, uh, so you know, on food stamps, on WIC with my my first child, like food stamps, and and now. I feel like I'm, I'm very blessed and in a, in a good spot in my life. And I try not to forget, you know, where I came from Hmm. and, uh, and try to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, I was able to, I was able to kind of, uh, raise myself up and, and that was in no small part due to, um, you know, support systems that were, that were in place, you know, offered by the government or by the, you know, the state university I went to or by friends and family. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I want other people to to have that similar ability to you know to you know to get help, and that they're not trapped in whatever bad situation you know they happen to be in. And from an email perspective, uh, I feel very fortunate to be at Litmus. Litmus is a company that has always had a very strong focus on education, not just wanting to like. You know, sell our tools, which are fantastic. We have fantastic tools that help email marketers do a better job. They work with everybody's ESPs, and a number um, of the top uh, ESPs integrate with our tools. So, our tools can really help you out. Um, But, you know, being a good email marketer is is about much more than just having the right tools. Mm -hmm. You need to understand, you know, how. How the law functions you understand how to put those tools into to use you need to understand the newest trends and litmus has always had a very strong focus on on trying to educate people to to do things the right way and to be successful and to to do research to figure out what the trends are to help people out Um, and i think that that's a generosity um, in in many ways to Mm -hmm. you know we don't have to do all of this but uh we're passionate about email marketing and and uh i'm I'm, again i feel very fortunate that i'm able to kind of like you know share my passion for for doing things the right way and um you know doing innovative things uh with everybody else and and help them to do a better job with their email marketing programs
0: yeah yeah cool awesome thanks for for sharing And, and that is super cool of litmus in terms of the education but just the fact that you play so nicely with so many different. ESPs and providers like it's such a it's a benefit because you can benefit from it almost regardless of, of who you're using or how you're using email uh, which is unique a lot of you know companies and platforms don't don't operate that way and we, we play uh,
1: nicely with everybody
0: yeah which is great um, you know and, and email I mean it's it's the main driver of online fundraising so when it comes to giving it's huge but even like advocacy and petition signing and you know like think of the role that that email really plays and in the action component, because social's great to like discover and maybe learn and engage, and those things are all really important. But especially on the the fundraising side, when it comes time to like moving someone down the funnel or we say up the mountain to that kind of final action point, there's nothing better than than email. And I don't I don't see anything changing for you know the next bit. And so you know how people live out generosity at the the end and the action point, email is incredibly valuable. So. Uh, I think there's a lot there. Absolutely. I, I like your analogy about the not really being a funnel but a mountain. I think that's that's
1: true because uh, gra- gravity pulls you back down to inaction.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why that's why we like it. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure that we could talk on and on and on about things like partials and things that I don't understand. but uh, I appreciate you spending so much uh, so much time today and, and chatting through some of this stuff. Um, where can people learn more about you uh, and and your work and your book? Sure, you can find
1: out a lot about me at emailmarketingrules.com. You can find my book on Amazon, pick that up, I hope you do. Um, And obviously you can visit uh, litmus.com to find out more uh, about Litmus. We have a fantastic blog there, litmus.com slash blog. Uh, If you haven't checked that out before, uh, yeah, you want some advice, I very much encourage you to, to check that out. Uh, we release uh, quite a bit of research throughout the year, both via blog posts and webinars, but also uh, bigger reports with lots of stats, and all of it's available for free. Um, so, encourage you to take advantage
0: of that. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and it is a great research, one I've benefited from many times. So, <laughs> thanks. And thanks again for coming on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. everybody. Brady here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But don't you like learning in the comfort of your sweatpants? I know I do. If you like to learn and you like sweatpants, we've got something for you. Uh, If you go to uh, courses.nextafter.com, you can actually take a bunch of different online modules whenever you want, wherever you want. And yes, in those sweatpants, Uh, on things like Facebook advertising, donation and landing page optimization, or email fundraising optimization. Those are just three that we have, and there are more to come. Take them at your leisure in those ugly, gross, baggy sweatpants, and you don't have to wear sweatpants as well. I'm talking a lot about sweatpants. It's really about the courses. Courses Courses.nextafter.com. Check it out. Back to the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chad White, research director at Litmus, and got some key takeaways, whether it's kind of this 80-20 rule where really 20% of your uh, subscribers are driving 80% of your value, how to look into things beyond the kind of surface metrics and figure out what's really going on, or look into things like deliverability and make sure that your emails are actually making its way into the inboxes of the people that you're trying to communicate with so I uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. Big thanks to Chad. You can find him at litmus.com. You can check out his book, Email Marketing Rules, and you can find the ultimate guide to nonprofit emails produced by Litmus based on this research on their site, litmus.com slash blog. That's it for me for this week. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to The Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search The Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. NextAfter is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising, and our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to, and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kuchiriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill, so many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.